Curtain going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. Officer, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. I'm going to just address the audience real fast. Um, for everyone that doesn't know, I am with a recovering addict, and he has asked to remain anonymous. But I think that the drug epidemic as it stands right now in this country is something that needs a lot of attention and not much is being given to it. COVID and um, change in administration and things like that have kind of taken a a forefront to that and and the drug epidemic has been put on the back burner so I think that we need to bring more awareness and so he was kind enough to come on and tell his story and answer some of my questions so um, I'd like to start with you know kind of your story talk to me a little bit about your background I know you're originally where you're originally from I don't know if you want to disclose that Um, Mm -hmm. but talk to me a little bit about how you started and then um, into how you got into into drugs, like how you ended up in that place. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, first off, thank you for having me on here. Um, I guess I can just begin. Um, my name's Sam, and I'm a person in long-term recovery from uh, alcohol and drug addiction. And uh, my sobriety date is January the 10th of 2017 and for that day I'm eternally grateful um I haven't had a minor mood altering substance enter my body from that day um from that day forward and before that I can't really remember a time when uh when I didn't have something in my body in any particular day um I would say <clears throat> you know a lot of people have a conception, what is an alcoholic, what is an addict, you know, right. are they living under a bridge, are they, you know, homeless, have they lost everything, you know, are they just complete mental defects, right. and um, with my experience, it just doesn't tend to be the case, I've met alcoholic lawyers, I've met alcoholic business owners, I've met alcohol, you know, and when right. I say alcoholic, you know, addicts as well, I've met, you know, from people that also that that live uh, that were under bridges so it's something that affects everybody doesn't matter you know uh, race creed, age, class. race creed, right. nothing it affects everybody and the only you know real difference between me and and you know an alcoholic addict and and somebody else is that i completely lost the choice of and any and any kind of control of alcohol or drugs. Once they enter my body, um, I had really no kind of control about how much or, or how long it would be before I could stop. Right. Um, I come from a family that alcohol was normal in our household, not drugs, but, you know, but alcohol. And they see, you know, everybody in my household seemed to be able to handle it well. Like my father could take a drink, right, at dinner. Um, go have like one scotch or bourbon or what, you know, whatever he chose to drink right. and, you know, be okay with that and wait 20 minutes and drive home and be fine. He can drink normally. You know, for me, it was just a different oh, story. Oh, there's more in the bottle? Let me drink more. 
Yeah, yeah. For me, it was it was a different story. I yeah. might be able to have one drink, but I'm going to be restless, irritable, and discontent until I can do it the way I want to do it, right? Right. So, sure. I mean, I think that's where I can begin is to just kind of say that was there this this whole story of, of you know child abuse or anything like that? No, that's not my story, right? right? I was a restless, irritable, discontent child. I was, you know, always upset, kind of, uh, you know. Growing up, like, I just remember kind of always being in a bad mood. It's always, you know, things just not going my way. And, and, uh, you know, around the age of four, uh, yeah, 14 or so, my parents took me to a, a doctor, psychiatrist, and they put me, that was when I, I feel like I probably developed my first addiction, which was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. Okay. And they gave me a, a, prescription the Adderall and um, if I can interject for just a second do you think that that, uh, as as an adult now and a recovering addict do you think that that was possibly the wrong move for that to be the solution that was given to your parents to to put you on drugs I'm not a doctor so that's not really for me to say do they prescribe that medication off you watch sure absolutely they do but what I can say is like I feel like I probably would have become an alcoholic and an addict anyway. Okay. Um, and that makes okay, any sense. That's why I asked the not, yeah. 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 So I don't put blame on to any particular time or person or anything like me or anything like that. I think, you know, at some point, you know, I would be introduced to, to drugs and alcohol at a, on a different level. Right, so that that's where where I'm okay, coming from. I'm I mean, so sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sure, and, and sure. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, you know, I entered high school and my I did what a lot of high schoolers did. You know, I started drinking and you know, still taking my Adderall and stuff. You know, at some point I was also introduced to other things like marijuana and and things like that. And it, you know what? It wasn't really just like, man, I just want to try all this stuff it was normally you know i had uh the way i felt about myself at the time i was like well these other kids are doing it i better do it or else i'm not going to fit in because i always felt that you know i don't fit in i don't belong here i don't do this i don't do that and so when i took drugs or alcohol i was doing everything that the other people were doing and all of a sudden it's like yeah i can fit in and you know laugh with people and then cut up and had that kind of effect on me so so yeah did you, know, you like yourself from, better when you were on when you were drinking or, or, or having fun like is that did you feel right. better about yourself or after well i think it just it makes like, it where you just like do don't that? Yeah, at first, at first it's kind of like man when i do this i just you know i don't care as much right, right? I can just it feels more relaxed, just more. Hey, I can just do whatever, and uh, you know, I think most alcoholics and and addicts would kind of tell you, you know, that that uh, the relief of the the first drink and everything just something kind of changes in you. So yeah, at this point, right, drugs and alcohol are working for me. Mm-hmm. Right, they're working for me. Yeah, you know, and and that's how I cope with the world. You know, I have a bad day, I'm drinking. If I if I have a good day, I'm celebrating, I'm drinking. Right? right. So it was everything and everything in between. You know, I don't think I crossed that line yet into addiction or alcoholism at that point, but I was definitely on the way. 
right? right. <laughs> Looking back at it now, definitely on the way. You know, I did normal things. Like I graduated from high school. I went to college. I think that's where my troubles just sort of began because uh, I got caught drinking and, and smoking marijuana, you know, smoking weed. <laughs> and so it was like several times from my college, they, they just kind of told me, they were like, listen, if you don't stop, we're going to have to suspend you, expel you, kick you out. Right. And I was just like, man. And it just, they, they moved my dorm, you know. It was, they said I should have had three strikes, but they only gave me two. I don't, I don't know. They told me basically if you get caught drinking or drugging again within the next year, you're out of here. So I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to make it a year without drinking. Nor did I want to at that point. Right. Right. <laughs> sure. Uh, just at, you know, 19 years old, I was like, yeah, there's just no way. So, uh, and I got in some other trouble, you know, just petty stuff, PIs, and, and, uh, you know, the, that whole year I was just constantly doing community service and stuff like that. And, uh, so I left the school because I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm, uh, I'm gonna make it. So came to another school closer to home, you know, immediately get, get hooked back up with old friends. And not that they're to blame, but, you know, um, started doing the, the same things I was doing, you know, before and, uh, stayed here for a while. And then, you know, some stuff, other stuff happened and me, you know, I was just a runner, you know, anytime something wasn't going my way, I just tweed the situation. And this time I ended up in Las Vegas where I would spend several more years. And I'd say, you know, at first in Vegas, the first year or two anyway, I really didn't have any problems. You know, I'd drink on the weekends and, and stuff like that, but, um, you know, nothing nothing terrible. And then I got... Were you successfully uh, holding down a job while you were out there? Like, what were you doing while you were there? Oh, in Vegas? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I graduated college. I was working a job. It's, uh, I was working in politics, you know, and it was kind of going all right. And then, and then I graduated, you know, and then I graduated. My job had run out. So Man. this was 2009. So there's just this big economic recession. There were no jobs. And I felt like the world had done me wrong. You know, I was like, ah, I went to school. I did all this. I worked hard, you know, and now there's nothing out there. I ended up moving back in with my parents and, and working for my dad. You know, that's not the plan that I had was you know living in a small town in Kentucky at the time sure, <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like I want to be back in Vegas so so anyway I was working for him and my my brother had had a, a surgery and and uh you know my brother's the normal drinker he just got these pills laying around and he's not even taking them because he doesn't want them they don't do anything for him right right yeah so you know working for my dad at the end of the day I would start taking a couple of his, my brother's pills and then, you know, drinking on top of it. And was numbed, it Oxy? Uh, was that the pills that he was prescribed? Yeah, it was some sort of opiate. I can't remember if they were Percocet or Oxycontin, you know, what they were. But <clears throat> it's a trick, you know. And uh, and before, you know, um, I had loved taking opiates, but I, it was like I could always take them and then stop and Always drinking was always there, but all, you know, the other ones were, were kind of like, I take them for a while and stop, take them for a couple months and stop. Or, so I started, you know, taking them this time and, uh, pretty much every afternoon. And, and then I got a call to work on a, another campaign and back in Vegas. 
And I was like, all right, here we go. You know, I'm getting out of here. You know, I thought this is it. I get out to Vegas and like, I hate the job. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just as miserable as ever. <laughs> and, uh, and then my friend was like, Hey man, I work with this guy. He gets opiates, you know, whatever he had, Percocets or something like that. You know, I was like, all right, you know, so I never really quit from there on. I never really quit. Yeah. I, re- I don't really ever stop. So this is what's happened before. Like, I feel like I've crossed that line into alcoholism. Uh, addiction where like I can't go back now just like a pickle can't go back to being a cucumber right right? I've crossed into that where I don't have a choice I have to do this uh every day and you know just just because I if I don't I just I I feel terrible not just physically but mentally right right I don't don't think we uh, I think in the United States a lot of times in the public or the media they always blame it on one specific drug or something like that. Right. And it's not the drug that's per se is the problem. It's how you feel when you don't have it. Yeah. If I was just miserable, if I wasn't taking it. And uh, so it went on for like several years like this. And I can't really, you know, it, it just, it's like this black cloud just came over my life at that point. I just felt it. And Do you feel like you were given good coping mechanisms when you were younger like do you feel that they were there you just chose not to use them or do you feel like that was something that that you didn't get well you know my mom was always sick so I mean she she was you know in and out with psychiatrists and stuff like that so I feel like everybody really wanted to help me Right. You know, I feel like everybody gave me like the best chance ever. They're like, we don't want you to turn out with, like your mom and, and having all these problems later on down the road. So, I mean, I, I feel like at the time, that's what you did. You well, know? that almost sounds they like used... enabling, though, versus coping mechanisms for you to have on your own. Am I wrong right. about that? Right. Well, I mean, I think that's how they were planning on helping me cope with it was, hey, you know, let's, right. let's take this kind of medicine and, and kind of help you feel better about this okay. or, or like you can't you can't shut up in school. So and you keep getting in trouble. So, like, let's give you this medicine that will help you. out. I mean, you know, at the time, the uh, Adderall, things like that are wonder drug. Right. Yeah. All right. You give this to your kids. It happened for me, you know, you give this to your kids. All of a sudden they're making better grades. They're not getting in trouble. They're going to school. You know, they're sitting through class, all those things that I couldn't do before I was doing. So um, do I consider it a, uh, you know, I don't really consider any drug to be a a magic pill today. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't consider any of them today. But at the time, I mean, I feel like that's how a lot of it was really looked at. Yeah. Um, I'm almost, you know, done. I'll kind of fast forward a little bit. So, you know, years go by. Around 2014, I moved back to to Kentucky, where I live now, thinking that I could kind of get away from, you know, drinking and drugging and all that. And, like, it doesn't change. You know, within a week, I'm back at it. You know, I even open up a business and do this. I'm I'm living this normal life on, on, on the outside, right? But on the inside, it's just like, this is eating at me and eating at me. Yes, around... I would say 2014 is when I really started trying to get sober, mm-hmm. and it wasn't anything in particular that happened. I was just, like, sitting in this parking lot just saying, like, I God, I can't do this anymore. The running around, the sneaking, the uh, ultimately living a double life. 
Right. It was just like tearing, just eating at me and stuff. But I had this big secret. I just didn't feel like I could tell anybody. So, so I decided, like, I'm going to get sober. And I, I tried to do it on my own. That lasts about a month. And then I was like, okay, well, I've done good. Maybe I've gotten, maybe I can do it normally now, right? No. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, which is, is basically the obsession of any, you know, drug addict or alcoholic that with enough time off. Right. Maybe you like hit a reset button or something and you yeah. can start over, but it just, it doesn't work that way. So, so that goes on for another year. And then I try to get sober again. And then in, in late 2015, again, like I'm going to do it on my own. And this time it like actually lasts a while. You know, I think I drink, you know, just a little bit every once in a while, but I don't know, for probably six or seven months is okay. But I was, I was, I was what you call dry and, and, uh, just doing crazy things, all the, all the problems are, you know, still there, you know, and then of course, eventually it was bound to happen. Like I, I pick up and start drinking again and, and I was like, you know, well, I'm not gonna, not gonna do drugs, but I can drink, right? And, you know, it started out again very slowly and then within like a week or two, then I'm, you know, drinking vodka, you know, and just pounding that till I pass out. And, uh, you know, and then I, I really started having like just a lot of mental issues with it, you know, panic attacks mostly. So I started having all these panic attacks and this is like the worst time of my life. And, uh, of course I, you know, run back to my parents, go to psychiatrists and, you know, they put me on Xanax and all these, you know, other things. And it's like, it's, it's, nothing's working. Right. Right. Nothing's working. Like that, that was like the most scariest place I've ever been in my life where it's like, I'm not happy drinking, but I'm not happy sober. So like, what do you do? Yeah. What do you do? You know, I just, I thought I was at, I thought, you know, like, this is how it ends. This is how it ends. This is, you know, I won't be alive for that much longer. So I, I put everything down again. This time, just go absolutely crazy, and then you know my my dad just like drops me off at a treatment center. Right. Right. <laughs> it's just like we can't help, but you know, it really really takes a strong family member to just be like, we can't help this person, right? We can't yeah. help this person. So you know, they dropped me off at a treatment center, and I was just like, man, you know, I don't. I don't want to be here. This isn't the right place for me. But I felt like, well, you just pay them this money and they just like hit you with some magic sober dust and you just become sober and like, <laughs> that's not the case. You know, I was like, well, what am I paying? They should sprinkle you with sober dust. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, it just paid you all this money. Like, you know, and like I meet people in there that are just like, well, how many times have you been to treatment? And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> You know, I was like, what? I thought they just, like, give me some kind of secret. <laughs> yeah, I thought they just, yeah, that's what all this money's for, right? And they're just like, no. And it's, the, you know, and treatment's not, like, glamorous, like they make it out on TV, you know. Passages Malibu and you're chilling on the beach and getting uh, hot stone massages, you know. Right. It's literally, you know, for me and my experience, it was literally like sitting in a room for eight, nine hours a day with another, you know, person in recovery kind of like beating that down into you six, seven days a week. I mean, every once in a while they let us go pet some horses or something like that, you know, but for the most part, like, 
this is what it is, you know, and I'm living in a condo with, you know, four or five other people and like everything like really gets broken down at that point. Right. You know, where it's like who gets the good room, who gets, you know, who does that, who does this, who has to sleep in the same room with so-and-so and, you know, just experiences that I just not really been through. But uh, but it was exactly what I needed uh, for me because it, you know, it just broke down all those barriers and all those egos. And I was like, man, I do not want to do this again. And right. uh, I was there for two months and I probably see 60 people come through there while I was there. And so far, I, I I think I know, like, maybe one person that's still sober. I mean, Yeah, but, uh, I did some research on opioids specifically. Of the people who are treated in non-fatal opioid overdose situations, die uh-huh. within a year of their hospital visit, and most of them within two days because they get clean and then they go back and try to hit something that was close to what they were doing before they detox uh-huh. and then they die. Two-thirds of those people contributed to the subsequent opioid-related overdoses. And in the first three months of 2020, we had 19,415 overdose deaths compared to Uh 16,682 in 2019. So 3,000 more, 1,000 per month in the first three months of the year last year. You know, the point that I want to get across to everybody is, like, everybody has a 100% chance of making it. Right. Like, I'm nobody special, really. I mean, and I can I can sit here and tell you I've been to, you know, I've seen lots of friends die uh, from this disease. But I've also seen people stay sober, and I've also seen sober people die, you know, sober, right. which is, you know, for somebody like me, is just an amazing thing. So, I mean, you know, I can tell you about, I had a roommate, and he had been in a 12-step program and had several years clean and then uh he taught me a lot and uh he lost his life to this disease you know probably a year and a half ago two years ago i can't remember but uh i'm forever grateful to him i'm forever grateful to him you know a couple years older than me Mm -hmm. you know probably 37 38 beautiful family and everything and just you know couldn't couldn't get it back i always talk about him in the the highest regards because you know he was one of those like man can do this you know i just had five years sober so anyway i think even in treatment they can kind of get you in this doom and gloom you know where they'll sit you down and 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 tell you you know i remember sitting on this couch with like three other people and they're like your chances of being dead in the next year are better than your chances the chances of one of you dying over the next year are better than one of you being sober i wasn't trying to be doom and gloom (laughs) yeah (laughs) No, no. I mean, it is. If you just go go by those numbers, if you just, I mean, like, so there's a lot of statistics out there, right? Right. There's, you know, some treatment centers will say, well, we have a 90% success rate. That's like 90% of people make it through their program, which is a month long. Right. You know, take a look at that over a year or something like that. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's put these people out on the street and what happens because I've seen some people that were messed up within within hours of getting released yeah. from those treatment centers. So they get, they just throw around like a lot of statistics. And uh, I remember my best friend going to treatment and I was around two years sober at the time. And, you know, he was like, well, I looked this place up and they had this like success rate, yada, yada. And I was just like, just go there. Don't worry about the success rate statistics or anything like that. Worry about what you need to do right now. Right. 
worry about going there and, and getting sober and, and doing what you need to do to, to do this. And uh, he's got over two years sober now. I've seen so many amazing things happen through sobriety. I mean, it's it's, it's truly a blessing, you know. Uh, you know, people don't have to necessarily be scared of it. I know it can be because, I mean, you're just the alcoholic, the addictive. Well, I think it's you also, know, it, it seems normal when you're in it, right? Yeah. I think, too, it's also, you know, it's hard for people. Uh, my story, I I have drank socially and I have smoked marijuana, but that's the extent of my drug use and alcohol use. I I try really hard to stay away from both because I come from a family of raging alcoholics on both mm-hmm. sides. So I know that it makes me feel good and I know that I could use it to feel better. And so I, do, I just don't. But right. the hard thing is, you know, like I, I think I told you about my cousin who is a recovering addict and she ended up having to move away to stay clean because her so, her social circle of friends was toxic. And right. she is in the best position she could ever possibly have imagined. She's healthy. She's beautiful. She's thriving. She's just a, a wonderful person. And I'm so happy that she got clean. And it's amazing. It, yeah. it really is. And so I think it's hard for people like me. Like I could have had her on my podcast, but I didn't because some of these questions, especially if you're close to the person that is suffering, a lot of these questions are really hard to to discuss. It's hard to look at that person and say, you know, is is it hard for you to be around me when I'm having a beer? Like I think it's important you know, to try to help people understand where both sides of that equation are coming from. Like somebody who doesn't use a lot of drugs or drinks a lot, but may do so on occasion. Like, does it bother you? Is it hard for you to be in those situations? Do you just remove yourself from those situations? You know, that kind of stuff. Right, right. So the main part, you know, in, in my sobriety, you know, I worked a 12-step program and continue to. And what that gives me, what it does is it makes it where alcohol and drugs are no longer necessary in my life. Right. I can be at, I can be at peace without it, but I had mm-hmm. to replace it with something. It's, you know, I think most addicts and alcoholics would explain that they had some kind of hole in their soul, right? And they mm-hmm. had to do something to fill that, you know, with alcohol and drugs. So, like, when you just stop doing alcohol and drugs, that hole is still the there. Still there, yeah. Right. So, like, the, you know, one of the terms they talk about is they're like, a horse thief can quit drinking, but they'll still be a horse thief, right? Right. So, <laughs> so you know, working that program for me, what it makes is it's no longer necessary in my life. Now, do I go hang out at like a bar or something like that or just go hang out and like watch other people drink just to do it? No, because I really have no business doing that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, why would I, why exactly would I do that? Uh, Yeah. But yeah, if it's like a family event and people are drinking, then I'm going to go. And if there's a concert that I want to go to and there's people drinking and smoking marijuana or something like that, like, I'm going to go, you know. I can't avoid alcohol. Like, alcohol is everywhere. Right. You know, and and even drugs to that extent. I mean, you know, they're selling Kratom and (laughs) all sorts of new dope at at the gas stations now, you know. (laughs) I can't just go around and, like, avoid those places. So I have to do something to to make sure that uh, that it's no longer necessary. Now, you know, some days I'm just not like physically, you know, spiritually fit. You know, I'm just out of sorts. I'm not, you know, good. And in those situations, you know, it might be the best thing just not to be around it that day. 
Right. But that's that's kind of the you know the the guideline that I go by. Is, you know, if I have you know a reason for being there, then then I should go to all these places. You know, but right. if I have no business being there, you know what I mean? Like, am I gonna hang out at a drug dealer's house? No. <laughs> you know, like absolutely not. Why would I do that? You know. <laughs> Yeah, it just it doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. So are there but, are there certain things that trigger you into feeling that you might relapse? My trigger was when I was drinking and drugging was are my eyes open? If I'm awake, like, <laughs> then yeah, then I want to drink and drug. But yeah, no, in particular situation now. I mean, I'm not gonna say like it doesn't ever cross your mind. Sure, it does. Right. You know. Maybe you're at like a football game or something. You see somebody drink a beer, and it's, but it's not like it's not like you have to have it. <laughs> Let me put it this way: it, it's not like I'm like, man, I'd like to just get like shit face pounded right now, right? right? It's mostly like, man, how's that person like just drinking one beer? Yeah, uh, I think <laughs> you know, like maybe sometimes. Like, like, why do you stop, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, somebody. I'll be like, why is it taking you so long to drink that one beer? You know, for me, uh, you know, when I was drinking beer, like, I'm pounding the first couple, right. you know, just to catch my breath. And so I'm just like, yeah, would you hurry up and, like, fucking drink that? Why are you taking so long? Yeah. Um, you know, it's more, yeah. it's more stuff like that. Or, you know, I'll be with my family and they're, like, drinking wine. And I'm just like, how long does it take you to drink one glass of wine? You know, <laughs> but they're not they're not drinking to get, like, pounded like I am, right. you know. They're just, like, enjoying it. And that's okay. That's yeah. okay. I don't shun any of it. You know, for a lot of people, it's for most people, it's perfectly fine to do that. But if I have a problem with them drinking, then I still have a drinking problem. When would you say, like, at what point is someone considered to be recovered? To be recovered? Yeah, like, uh, at what, or to have recovered, I guess, is a better way to word it. That's for every individual to kind of decide. You know, I don't think you're ever, you're never drink-proof. You know, there's never going right. to be a time where you can just be like, okay, I can go out and have a drink now. It's been a couple months or a couple years or, or, or something like that. If you're a true, you know, addict or alcoholic, that time is is never going to come. But right. for some people, it happens like almost immediately. You know, they just have this God moment. And, and for other people, it's, it's slow. You know, for me, it was slow. Right. You know, before I was just like, man, you know, I haven't thought about drinking or doing anything like that and in a while kind of comes in different times for different people I would say sure so in your experience especially like with some of the interactions that you had in your rehabilitation facility as well as in your treatment programs I'm assuming you still go to meetings and things like that yes yes absolutely in those interactions and even for yourself if I'm somebody who's dealing with another person that has an addiction how do you think that conversation should go like or, or how do you think they should approach that how do you talk to someone <clears throat> with an addiction it just depends like if, if it's a family member and stuff like just throw that out the window you know what i mean i don't know if you have any siblings um, i do i have a brother I, I, right okay so i have a brother right and if he had ever tried to tell me, like, you need to get clean, you need to do that, like, you think you're going to listen to your brother? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, it, I think it takes a lot of time, you know. Um, I feel like I have the privilege now to be able to relate to that person, so long as it's not a family member, and say, hey, I'm a person in, in recovery, and, and I know exactly how it feels. I know exactly how it feels, and there's hope. Do you think it should and there's hope. definitely come from someone who's been through it versus somebody who can't relate? I mean, You know, like in recovery now, you're seeing more and more young people, mm -hmm. right? And they might not get you sober that one like point. You say that like you're so old. You're, <laughs> you're yeah. <not> that old. <laughs> well, I mean, when you're seeing, you know, 17, 18 years old, you know, people right. coming in there. And, you know, I was 30 when I got sober. But like at 17 or 18, you could not have convinced me that I was an a addict and an alcoholic. And like it was going to ruin my life, you know, and. <laughs> you know, like I had no, I had no uh, ambition to stop at right. that point. But I can plant that seed with people. And I, I've worked with, you know, some younger people, people my age, people older. And I'm going to plant that seed with them. I'm not here to tell them what to do. I'm not here to boss them around or anything like that. I'm here to share my experience, strength, and hope, my story, my recovery with them so that Maybe someday when they're like, I've had enough, you know, right. they know where to go. They know who to talk to. There's this setback, you know, like one of my best friends in recovery, just best friends in general. Cause, you know, most of my best friends these days are in recovery. You know, he had a little cousin and man, we try to do everything with, <laughs> you know, we would, right. you know, take them, take them to, uh, you know, recovery conventions and, you know, out to eat after the meetings and everything like that. He just didn't, you know, didn't get it and, uh, and, and lost his life to the, to the disease at a very young age. It was, you know, really sad because he was a really good kid mm -hmm. and, uh, I wish he had gotten it, you know, but it just yeah. doesn't turn out that way. And, and, and I don't blame him because I'm like, you know what, you know, when I was his age, 30 something year old guys were like, you know, trying to help me get sober at the time, I probably wouldn't have had any interest either. So, Is there anything um, that you wish someone would have said to you when you were younger? Like, is there something that they could have said? Or do you think that it really is up to the individual person? Because based on the things that you're saying to me with yourself, with this young gentleman who passed away, I feel like much of it is when you finally decide that you've had enough. That's the only point that you'll actually get clean. Yeah, yeah. For me, that was it. Uh, I don't know if what anybody would have told me would have helped. Even probably a year before I got sober, I was bound and determined to get sober without any kind of help, without any kind of 12-step program. You know, like I was like, 12-step program? I'm like looking at the step. It's talking about things like God. <laughs> Right. You know, turning my will over. Who wants to do something like that? Right. Cleaning up the wreckage of my past. Who wanted? Who would want to do something like that? There was not a single step that I was willing to do. Right. And uh, <clears throat> what changed and for you? Like, I mean, complete, complete desperation. Yeah. The, the, the gift of desperation. You so know, you, I didn't feel like I had another choice at that point. You mentioned in the twelve-step program, it, it talks about giving yourself over to God. I feel uh -huh. like as a society, I am not a religious person. I'm Buddhist, so I, uh -huh. I'm a horrible Buddhist. Like, I'm a libertarian <laughs> and a Buddhist at the same time. It does not go sure. well together. <laughs> so right. I'm constantly conflicted, but I always respect other people's decisions. How does that, if that wasn't the goal that was played in your life in the beginning, how did you find yourself being able to give yourself over to God for the 12-step program to work for you? Because when we talked about this previously, you mentioned that spirituality was a big part of how you got clean. So 
I I would love yeah. for you to kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, your own conception of God. So I can't quit on my own, right? I'm powerless against alcohol. I'm powerless against drugs. I've mm-hmm. lost that choice. I've lost that ability to do that. So you, so I had to find something greater than myself to relieve me of this affliction. Right. Right? So I'm not saying everybody's uh, idea of God. And, you know, I think that's something in society that we kind of run away from today. Yeah, you're trying to push your religion on me. I'm not trying to push anything on you. Right. I'm telling you what works for me. Right? Yeah. And if I didn't have... If I didn't start to develop that that connection with with God for myself, then I highly doubt I would have made it very long. But I was, I mean, I would best describe myself as maybe an agnostic before Mm -hmm. I became sober. And it's it's not that I just, you know, hated God. It was just, I just didn't have any kind of connection there. It just didn't play that much into my life. And I think that's why, you know, I'd look at a 12-step program and be like, and listen, it's not the only way to get sober. It's it's the way I got sober, right? Right. I'm not saying that there's a monopoly. No, and I don't think you've come off that way. Yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've met I've met people that did it through their church, their synagogue, you know, whatever different places. And I've met people that just quit drinking and quit drugging, and and I've met people that have been haven't done anything in years, and they're miserable. And that because they didn't fill know, that hole exactly. So you know, for me, I'm glad that I accepted those principles and started developing, you know, my own connection with with God. And nobody really pushed me in any kind of direction or anything like that. Right. But my came out of desperate. I was like, I, I give up. I give in. Yeah. I'm done. I surrender. I will do this because I don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I've tried it my way. <laughs> it doesn't seem right. to work very well. Well, and I think yeah. it takes a special level of humility, too, because our egos get in the way of a lot of things. And I think it plays a huge role in addiction where, you know, you tell yourself, oh, I'm not addicted. I can quit at any time. Or right oh, well, I can just go ahead and and do this one more time and then I'll get right back on it. And I'm capable and I can do this. And I think that that ego is constantly after you to say that you're weak and pathetic if you ask for help. You should be able to do this on your own. So I think it takes a special level of dedication and and true humility to say, I need help and where can I go get it? Yeah. So I admire people like you. I, I have a huge level of admiration for somebody that got so low to the point where you weren't happy in either direction and you finally sought hope. Right. Well, I didn't do I anything that anybody else can do. You know, oh, thank you. Thank you. No, I mean, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't done anything <laughs> special. I, I don't really have, like, these original thoughts and ideas about alcoholism and addiction. I couldn't write a book about it or anything like that. There are probably people well more educated on the subject than I am. I mean, there's no doubt about that. There's probably people that know much more about religion and God, you know, and all those things. And that's okay. I don't have to be a a professional in this field. I don't work in a treatment center. I never have. I've been to treatment centers to talk to people. Um, Anybody that does work in a treatment center, like, I have admiration for them. It would be very hard for me to do just because of the ego that that would come up with <laughs> for right. myself, you know, if I was constantly being looked up to like that. You don't take no, compliments you. very well, do you? Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. See, these things aren't good for me because I was that ego guy. I'm, I can be successful. I can do this. I can do that. But you, you, know, you are and you have been. 
I, I mean. Well, I mean, it's just, it's a decision that, uh, that personally I have to make every single day. Right. You know, it's not something that, that just gets handed over. It's like, am I going to do the things needed to stay sober today? I mean, it's just a complete life change. Like, if somebody calls, I answer my phone. If I don't, if I can't answer my phone, like, I get back to them because I had these guys when I first got sober, and they've been sober a year or two, some of them 20 years, some of them 30 years. And, like, those guys answered my phone call, and they invited me to go out to eat with them and to go get breakfast, you know, right. these little hole-in-the-wall diners. They took me to places, and they did all these things. And they never asked anything in return. That was, like, the first time in my life that I would remembered anybody outside of, like, my family that just, like, didn't want anything out of return from me. Right. So today, like, man, there's sometimes where I'm just, I've been working all day. You know, I don't feel like answering this phone call. But it just, like, completely shoots back that I was like, I have to answer this phone call, right? Because right. 99% of the time, it might just be somebody that, hey, you know, what's going on? What are you doing? I'm just checking in with you. Tell me about the day. But, you know, every once in a while, you get that phone call. It's like, hey, man, this guy needs help. You got to go help right. him. Or you get that phone call from a, from a guy that's like, hey, man. I'm outside of a liquor store right now, and I'm about to I'm about to take that drink, and you know he's about to throw it all away. Seems like a lot and of pressure for you, though. I, I <laughs> feel like that's really hard for you to talk somebody out of that situation. Well, I have a sponsor that has a sponsor that has a sponsor. And the one thing he told me is he just said, you know, you're not responsible if somebody gets drunk. You're not responsible if somebody gets sober. Right. So, a good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, so my... I might talk to somebody for an hour that's outside of the liquor store, and they might walk in there anyway. Right. Um, am I responsible for that? Nope. No. And they might walk away. You know, I have to attribute that to, to God for, for making that situation available. I know it can be. I mean, I can remember the first time I started working with other guys. I'm just like, oh, my God, you know, there's so much pressure. What if I get them drunk? Yada, yada. Right. You know? And then my ego was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show these guys how to get sober. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Help all these people and this and that and give them so much education on this. And then, like, one of the first people I ever helped was, like, 20-something years older than me. Couldn't read, you know, struggled, struggled. Yeah. But <laughs> this is not what I had in mind. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but, hey, nobody asked me what my age was or the things that I'd done or anything like that. They just you struggle from the same disease that, that we do and and we have a uh, a method that has worked for us and, and we're willing to share that with you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any parting advice for anybody that's listening that either may uh, suffer from addiction themselves or um, might be dealing with a family member or a friend who is suffering from addiction? So they're uh, about to drop some profound shit right here, right? Yep, I'm ready for so, it. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't really have. <laughs> like, the longer I'm sober, I'm like, the longer, the more I'm just like, yeah, I just, I don't have, oh my gosh, yeah, I just don't have these magic words. I feel like, you know, early on, I felt like, hey, man, everybody's hanging on to every word I'm saying. And I'm like, I remember being at a treatment center one time. Do we have a time frame here? No, no. You can okay. talk as long as you want to. Yeah. So 
I can remember being at a treatment center one time, and I was probably about two years sober. It was a medical facility, so like these, a lot of them were just getting off of drugs and whatnot. Right. It was a lock, lockdown facility. You know, I'm sitting there, and I'm telling my story, and this nurse keeps coming in and out. She's checking everybody's blood pressure. She's being extremely rude. So I'm telling mm-hmm. my story here, and like, ain't nobody giving a bit of attention to what I'm saying. And like, so all of a sudden, like, I just stopped. And I was like, man, y'all ain't trying to hear this shit, are you? You know? <laughs> like, yeah, I was just like, man, we can talk about something else. Like, we, I don't have to sit here and share my story. You know, it's really not that interesting. And the thing about it was that day is there's a guy in there that was hanging on to every word, you know? Yeah. I just couldn't see it. And I think he just celebrated two years. He's one of my very good friends today. He works in a treatment center. He lives the life. He helps other people. How wrong was I? Right. right? Well, How wrong I was I in that and situation? It's yeah. not an ego situation. It's important you come from that world. It's important if you do have, what did you say? Profound words of wisdom. You should Just always drop share profound them. Think, shit. Yeah. 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 Drop some profound. I, I was off. <laughs> yeah. He's just going to drop some profound <laughs> shit. Yeah. So, yeah. So for family members, like, I'm sorry because I put family members in that too. And it sucks and it's difficult. And guess what? You're powerless over alcohol as well. Not alcohol per se, but you're 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 powerless over the alcoholic. And um, yeah. the best thing that a that a family member can do is, in my opinion, is find that that you know twelve step program for those people because they do make those. Cause, I mean, you can drive somebody literally insane. Myself mm-hmm. or self centered ass could literally drive people insane. Because like when I'm drinking and drugging, I'm not really thinking about other people's feelings. Yeah. Or what I'm putting other people through, right? So that, uh, for the family members, that's like really hard to accept because they're like, well, it's not my fault. That person's the, the addict or the alcoholic or something like that. Right. It's not for that person. It's to get you well, right? Yeah. It's to get you well. You're still going through all these things. It's still very difficult. There's anger, jealousy, all those things because, because the alcoholics done that. So I can't really speak for those programs a whole lot. I put people Did in those, you, you know. members go through those programs? <laughs> yeah. My, well, my mom worked another 12-step program when I was younger. Aside from that, for her own kind of stuff, she got with that. But, yeah, my dad went to that for, for a while. I wish to go back, but, I mean, I guess he's... Okay for now. Um, <laughs> yes, it's, it's really not up to me for, right. for somebody to do that or not. I can't speak a lot for those programs because I'm not a part of it. I just, I've seen it help so many people. Yeah. You know, I've talked to people that are like, my marriage wouldn't be together today if she wasn't working her program and I wasn't working mine. You know, right. I mean, there's just a lot of things that are hard to get over after a long bout of alcoholism. You know, if you're talking about even a marriage situation or parent, kids, cousins, brothers, sisters, whatever, that one person gets sober and then you're just like, do you just forget about all the things that happened before? No, of course you don't. You have to work on those things as well. What was your other question? I'm sorry, my advice to anybody? Yeah, something anybody like that. Who- Suffering or has a family member or friend that they feel is suffering. Right. Okay. So we talked about family members. Mm-hmm. I would say my message to anybody out there that's just like suffering. And I just say like, I know exactly how you feel. And there's other people that know exactly how you feel all too well. And there is a way out if you want it. And there's plenty of people 
willing to help. I mean, it's only a phone call away. I mean, there's there's AA programs, there's NA programs, there's, you know, Celebrate Recovery, uh, lots of different things. You know, just reach out to those places. Like, you don't have to suffer in silence like I did for, for many, many years. There's more, there's so many people out there recovering. There's yeah. just huge communities. There's so many people. I mean, I have a cousin the other day that reached out to me and I had no idea because uh, my dad's first cousin. He lives in a completely different state. I've met him maybe once or twice in my life. Tells me he's got 50 years, almost 50 years sober. Wow. Oh my God. I was like, did you get sober when you were like 12? Like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, and I got I got cousins in California that, you know, one of them, uh, she's probably got like 20 something years. I got another cousin in another state that's got like close to 20 years. And see, I didn't know all this. Right. You know, I don't think before getting sober that I even knew any sober people because everybody else I was running around with were not sober, of course. <laughs> so, right. so yeah, there's there's hope and there's people that like that want to help you and, and like you reaching out to them helps them more than you could ever imagine. Because mm-hmm. I need to talk to those new, you know, I need to talk to the, the person. I need to be reminded like what it's like out there that it hasn't yeah. gotten any better. So that's my profound uh, statement. I don't know if that. No, I thought know. that was really good, and I I appreciate you sharing. I know it's probably still not easy to to talk about and to discuss all of this, so I really do appreciate you coming on with me. No, I mean I don't like it. I don't mind sharing with with anybody. We I think we talked about anonymity, you know, like yes. why is that important? And and a lot of people say, well. You know, well, the main reason is, especially when, like, these recovery programs first come out, being an alcoholic or a drug addict is very much seen as a as a complete weakness and a character flaw. So you didn't want anybody to know, right, because those people are, like, looked down to. And, and uh, even within the last 10 years, I mean, you see a lot more acceptance to it. Mm-hmm. Um more understanding to it but the but the main thing is is like you know with the anonymity is like for me the program that i use will will help anybody get sober if it doesn't if i so if i were to just like stop doing everything and get drunk i wouldn't want somebody to blame it on that right? right i wouldn't want somebody to blame it on well that just that program just like does not work whatsoever right because because it does so I'm not like an ambassador for it or anything like that. I'm just a person in recovery. And I understand that, but I appreciate you clarifying so that people don't think I'm just trying to hide people. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not. Actually, I'm know, on some the phone kind of with like Brad secret. Pitt, everybody. No, I'm just kidding. Huh? <laughs> I said, actually, I'm on the phone with Brad Pitt, everybody. No, just kidding. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, it's not like some secret society or something like that. You know, I think that's, what, you know, when we talk about in. Anonymity. People are like, oh, it's like the skull and bones or something. Right. Know, some kind of conspiracy theory. But yeah, <laughs> it's really, really nothing like that. <laughs> really nothing like that. But the uh, day, my God, you know, life is just completely different. It's, it's just giving me so many gifts. And like I said before, I, I have so many great friends in recovery and we've gotten to, you know, go out and do thing. I've been to weddings, you know, been to conventions, vacations, you know, we've worked on stuff together. 
It's just amazing. I mean, and it's, it's important for people to know, like, you're a business owner now. Like, you came from where you were to where you are today. That's a big deal. And I think that that success can also speak to recovery is, is an option for everybody. Oh, yeah. So much of it I wouldn't be capable of. And, and you know, and there are material things like, yeah, I have a business. I have that, you know, that I can run with a clear mind. <laughs> um, right. I bought a house in sobriety, you know. I have a cat. (laughs) I've made it through, you know, COVID so far, sober. All these things would not have been possible without it. But, I mean, the greatest thing that you get is just being able to be at peace with yourself and not having to put something in you to to change the way you feel, being free of drugs and alcohol. Kind of awesome. That's the biggest reward. That's the biggest reward. Like, the material things are, are great, but even without them, you know, I can still be like, hey, Sam's okay today. You right. know, Sam doesn't have to fix, manage, and control every bit of the world in, in order to, to make it the way he feels it's supposed to be. I can just be like, there's a reason for all this. I can't always see it. Sometimes it pisses me off, but there's <laughs> a <laughs> reason. Yeah. I got into this yeah. very long conversation about grand design today. So it, uh-huh. you saying that makes me giggle thinking about the contrast between my opinion and their opinion. So (laughs) (laughs) So what's your opinion? Uh, Well, (laughs) I don't know. I go back and forth. You know, I, I really support Darwin's theory of evolution, but then at the same time, there are people that are canceling fucking Dr. Seuss. So (laughs) it makes it really hard for me to believe that natural selection is still taking place. I think it broke somewhere and I don't know what happened, Uh but, um, (laughs) I have a lot of opinions. That's a whole nother episode, Sam. (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah. There's there's something I kind of go, you know, like acceptance is the key, right? Right. So, (laughs) so much of like so many things are are just not going to go my way. All the time, every day. You know the serenity prayer? Yeah. Grant, God grant me the episode. serenity to accept yeah. the things I cannot change. And the courage is that what it to is? change the things I can. Yeah. And the wisdom to know the difference. Yes. I do so, know that. <laughs> yeah. So for me, sometimes, like, I don't know. I was like, do I have the wisdom to know the difference? Sometimes right. I just have to pray to know the difference, right. you know, pray for, for the wisdom and stuff like that. So it's not saying, like, don't do anything, don't do this, don't do that. But, you know, sometimes I have to understand, like, this is a great big world, and I'm just a very small part of it, and I can't fix, manage, and control everything. And when I do, it puts me in a very bad position normally, not only, you know, in my life, but also in my head. Right. Yeah. So sometimes, and like I said, I don't do this perfectly. So sometimes I have to like, when the frustration or the pain gets high enough, that's when I'm like, oh my God, this is what I'm doing. I'm trying to fix, manage, and control everything. I'm trying to play God. Like, I'm not good at this, you know? I mean, there's been many days, you know, there's been many days where it's just, you know, something's not going my way. And I've just been down on my knees and been like, God, please. Now I sound like a religious whatever, but it's true. I'm just like, God, I cannot understand why this is happening. I cannot. Do you feel that you're given clarity in those situations? Do you feel like after you've been brought to your knees and you've been brought to that situation, after you've taken that time, 
you know, essentially surrender controls, surrender your ability to, or not ability, but desire to try to control the situation, do you feel relieved or do you still feel unsettled in those situations? Uh, to answer your question, yes, but does it happen that very second? No. Yeah. You know, I went through like a year of like really struggles at work and there are just so many outside influences um, affecting it. Mm-hmm. Just so many frustrations and everything. And yeah, there's just so many times where I'm just like, God, I, I can't see what's going on here. I can't see why this is, this is the way things are supposed to work. Right. right. But I know that you do. And just let me be accepting to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, and that's a, that's a hard, you know, an ego driven, selfish, self centered person like myself. That's a hard thing to do a lot of times. Right. You know, just say, give me acceptance through that. And I can't, I can't see this right now. You know, that's, I mean, I'm a human being. That's the most I'll ever be. Right. right. So I can't, I can't see the, how this plays out in the long run or anything like that. Yeah. I can just see like right now I'm pissed, you know. <laughs> Right now, I don't like this. Right. right? Like, fuck this right now. Yeah. Well, I will let you go. Thank you so much for coming on with me. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it, too. I hope it helps somebody. I hope it does, too. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death!